What a great promise you will provide. You are our provider. We can cling to you for provisions even deeper and wider than just earthly things, but for our very souls. And so, God, I thank you for that. I thank you because we do have struggles and trials and it's tough to live in this world. But, Lord, I thank you that we can cling to the hope that you are our God, that you love us and that you provide all that we need. So as we go before your word, may it provide food for our souls. May it feed us and cause us just to love you more and depend on you in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I would invite you this morning to return to the Gospel of Luke. We are continuing our study of Luke. We are in chapter 18 this morning. We're going to learn what it means to trust God today. As you're turning there, I was want to share an experience I had. You know, when I was in the Air Force, I was... Uh, had to go to what they call tech school, where you learn your, 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 your career, your skill. And uh, tech school, a little bit looser than boot camp, but you still had to keep your room clean, and they would have inspections and things for you every day. And, and the way our tech school worked was that our rooms would be inspected um, when we were out doing our training. And we never knew when the inspection would come. So you would be out training, and the guys would come through and inspect your room, and uh, and if you didn't pass, there was generally some kind of a consequence. You usually lost a day off and you had to work in the orderly room or whatever. On one particular day, I was out training and uh, I came back to my room and it was just a mess. And I don't know what happened to it. I mean, I'd left it clean, but it, it was a mess. And what I had discovered was right next to where we trained is where they trained the guys to handle the police dogs. And uh, they had went and they hid drugs in my room. And sent the dogs in to go find them. And those dogs just ripped up the room. I mean, they might have hit drugs everywhere. And, and, they, and the room was just a mess. Well, I didn't think much of it. Uh, I just went and cleaned up the room and went on. Kind of business as usual. We got down to the end of my training time. And uh, I had to meet with the instructor over our training area. Just to talk about things and, and get some paperwork filled out. And he said, well, Leston, uh, you're not going to graduate I'm like, why? He's like, well, you know, you failed a room inspection, and uh, you never paid the penalty for failing the room inspection. I said, I never failed a room inspection. What are you talking about? I didn't say it that way, of course. You know? um, I said, sir, Airman Lesson reports. I don't recall failing a room inspection. Would you please enlighten me? And, uh, and he said, well, you know, on this date, we have you down as failing an inspection. Well, what had happened was they, those dogs that went through there tore up my room, and then about an hour later, the inspectors came through, just walked through the rooms, and it just looked like I was tearing ceiling panel off the walls. I mean, it was bad. And, uh, and I said, oh, I remember that. They sent the dogs in the room. You could check the records. The dogs went through the room. They tore up the room. And, uh, and so my room was clean, but it was the dogs that tore it up. He's like, I don't care. You failed. And I'm like, well, Really, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to graduate over this. And so he's like, well, you have to work in the orderly room. We had, everybody had about two days off, three days off, I believe, in a row. And I had to give them all up the last three days to work, in, you know, doing paperwork in this orderly room. And, uh, and I was a, a little bent out of shape on a couple of reasons. One, I didn't want to lose those three days off. But also, I had my sights set on being the honor graduate, kind of 
arrogant thing. And, and I couldn't. If you, if you failed one room inspection, you could never qualify for autographs. So I was like, oh, man, you know, this isn't fair. It was the dog's fault. You have it on record. The Air Force messed up my room. I kept it clean. You messed it up. You shouldn't be penalizing me for what you did, right? You don't seem like you're really joining with me here. It was their fault, right? I'm over it now. <laughs> but do you know that feeling you get inside when an, when, when an injustice has just been served to you? You know all that emotion you feel and that real sense of like, oh, you know, you, you get that inside of you. And, and especially when you're in a situation where there's nothing you can do about it. There's just nothing you can do. It's a very real feeling. And it's something that is, the reason why I wanted to surface this and, and why my mind was thinking about this this week is because in this passage we're looking at today in Luke 18, the issue is how do the disciples live in this world as they're waiting for the return of Christ, knowing they're going to unfairly suffer for their faith. Knowing that someone's going to accuse them of being an atheist, because they didn't worship all of the gods that were out there. Knowing someone's going to accuse them of messing up the entire Roman system, and, and they're going to be all the problems, and they're, they're, the, they're the problem with the world, and, and, and they should be killed for it. Knowing they're going to face this. What do you do with all of that energy that goes inside of you when something unfair happens? And I was thinking about this because we live, first of all, just in general in an unfair world, right? Kids, us, even us, as we think about our own parents, our parents didn't do everything right. There were always moments when an injustice was served. And, and parents, our kids don't always do everything right. And there's a moment when injustice is served. And bosses don't do everything right. Churches don't do everything right. No one does anything right. Everyone's going to hurt everybody. And everyone's going to be insensitive at some point in time. What do you do with that? But, but take that even further as we live to engage this world distinctively as Christians, knowing that you're going to be unfairly treated. What do you do with it? That's really the issue here. In fact, one of the things that helps you understand Luke chapter 18 is if you could take that chapter 18 out, because that little chapter there kind of makes us think we're beginning something new. But remember, when Luke was writing this, he didn't sit down and put chapter 18 and verse 1. This was one long epistle, one long narrative. We're humans, kind of us humans, duh, you know, people <laughs> added that in later just to help you navigate your way through the text. But this, this, this parable, and in fact, the events that take place all the way through most of chapter 18 are all meant to be seen in context of chapter 17. And we're going to unpack that in just a minute here. But, but in general, just to keep in mind, he's just told them he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's bringing judgment. But in the meantime, you're going to have to wait. How do you wait? How do you wait? And that's what he's talking about. He tells them in chapter 18, he gives them some advice how to wait. He tells them, I want you to wait trusting God as your judge. As we move through chapter 18, he, he wants them to wait with humble faith. And as we keep going through chapter 18, he wants them to, to wait with caring love. These stories are all put together. These accounts are put together. Luke puts them all together to help us understand 
How do we endure to the end? How do we endure to the end? So that's what we're going to see. So our first thing here today is we're going to see how do we trust God as judge in the face of living in a sinful world? So you see your outline in the bulletin. There's a need. We're going to unpack that need. And we're going to see that living in a world of sin is tough. Then there's an illustration Jesus gives. Even a bad judge does good, which is supposed to lead us to an anchor for our soul. That the Father hears your prayers. He hears them. And that's how this is going to unfold. What I want you to get from this today is a simple truth. Where to place all that energy that comes within you when the injustice has been served. How to actually trust God as judge. How to do that so we can live in this world distinctively as Christians. So let's look at the need here. Look at verse 1 with me, if you will. It says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Keep in mind there's a conjunction there. And this is connecting. He's just told them some things ahead of this. He said, you're going to be waiting, longing for the signs of the Son of Man. That's what he said in chapter 17. You're going to be waiting. And the signs of the Son of Man, we looked at that last week, meant when he comes back to to take over this world and bring perfect justice and all that Daniel 7 said that would happen. And so he says, this, you're waiting, you're going to be longing for this. Someone's going to tell you, I've come back over there. Don't believe them. Don't get sidestepped with all the false promises that the Messiah is coming. Don't don't get lost there. Instead, when I come back, you'll know. The world will know. There will be stuff going on. No one will be wondering, I wonder if Jesus came back. No. Why? Because judgment will be being poured out from the heavens, he says. Everyone will know. And the judgment is going to pour on anyone, anywhere where there's death. But in the meantime... As we wait that, why will the disciples be longing for the return of Jesus to come back this way? Because this world is hard to live in. And so he says, listen, I want you to know this parable so that you would, notice, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now do you see that connection there? I want you to pray. It comes pray it comes pray now if all of that trial comes the injustice comes the energy boils up within you and you get all passionate about it and then you don't pray what will happen you're gonna lose heart what does lose heart mean it means basically you say i'm done with it enough i'm done with those people at that church i'm done with this i'm done with that i'm done with it all That's the sign that you've lost heart. But it isn't the sign that all the people have done something wrong. It's the sign that you have stopped trusting God. You won't say the Lord is my provider. He cares. He's here. He's doing it. You've lost heart. Because you're not praying. So he says, guys, if you're not praying, you will lose heart. If the energy isn't converted to always praying, and the word always in the Greek means always. It's just that simple. If you want it developed out more, all the time. Never stop. Don't give up praying. That energy has to be converted to prayer. And if that energy isn't converted to prayer, when you stand in a world filled with sinners 
don't love God, that don't do things perfectly, and you yourself don't do things perfectly, you will run around throwing temper tantrums. This isn't fair. I'm not getting my way. No one's listening to me. Right? That's the emotion that goes inside you when that happens, isn't it? I remember sitting in the orderly room 18 hours a day, three days for three straight days, thinking, this isn't fair. It's the dogs that messed up my room. Why am I the only guy not walking around downtown San Antonio right now? I'm sitting in this room doing nothing. Energy is filling up. It's not fair. But he says, listen, if that is there and it's not converted to prayer, you're going to lose heart, boys. Now, think about what they faced. I was just reading this week about all the ways the apostles were tortured and killed. I mean, you know, it's one thing when somebody just does something you don't like. Could you imagine just getting your fingernails plucked out and being hung up and on a cross and having your armpits cut so that you're hanging and bleeding and your tendons are ripping out? That is for what? Because you love God and love your neighbor as yourself? And you're going to get beat up for that? Yeah, you're longing for Jesus to come back at that moment, right? God, pour the fire. This is a good time for fire, God. <laughs> right? Sulfur now, right? You, you'd feel that. You'd want that. And yet, he says, I don't want you to lose heart. So there's the need. The need is this. We live in an unfair world. We live in a world that hates God. We live in a world where people will do you wrong. We live in a world where, where people will do you wrong because you're a Christian, and people will do you wrong because they're sinners. Now, there's the need. What do we do? Jesus wants to illustrate this before he tells us. And the illustration he sets up is a really extreme illustration to make a really big point. Even a bad judge does good. This is his illustration, right? Look at verse 2. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now, right away, you read that, if you kind of are tracking with that, this particular time frame, if you were hearing Jesus say this at this point, you would get a sense, this is a really bad guy. Now, the reason why this is important, to, or why it's important to see this is the wickedness of this judge is the point. So I want you to see the wickedness of this judge. Let's just, let's just unpack this here a little bit. Realize this. In that day, something you need to realize about that day, um, going to court was different than going to court in our day. So if I have a, a grievance against someone or someone has a grievance against me, what do they do? They first see an attorney. The attorney helps them put their case together. And then if it is something that's going to go to court, the attorney goes to court on behalf of the the, the client, and then, of course, the other client, the other person involved in the case has an attorney. Those two attorneys meet, and they negotiate, and they talk, and if it has to go before a judge, the attorneys are before the judge, and the judge dealing with that, and there's all these layers to it. In that day, if you had an issue with me, you brought me before the judge directly. There were no attorneys. I have to know my rights. I have to be able to protect myself. And I have to be able to argue before a judge my case. And the judge was the sole person making the decision in the case. So, we have a city who's a judge, and look at this judge. He didn't fear God, and he didn't respect man. 
he was a law unto himself. He did only what he wanted to do, and if you went before him, he's saying he wouldn't care about you, and he wouldn't care about God's law. So don't, don't think you could appeal to him on the basis of what the scriptures say. Don't think you could appeal to him on the basis of just his own conscience as a human. He doesn't care about God, he doesn't care about you. This is a wicked judge. Now the story gets more intense. Verse 3. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. So now we have a widow. This adds to the complexity of the story. Remember, in those days, a woman was protected and defined by the man in her life. Either that would be her father or her husband. So when there was a marriage that happened, she would be handed over to her husband. Now, after so many years, if her father dies and she's living and then her husband dies, if she doesn't have any children who will care for her, she has no one to care for her. And there wouldn't be any real serious effect on you if you took advantage of a widow. There might be laws against it, but no one enforced them. You know, taking advantage of a widow is the equivalent of driving five miles over the speed limit on the highway. Technically, it's illegal, but they don't pull you over for it. Just to kind of let it go. That kind of a thing. Don't let it go. So now you have a widow. There's no one caring for her. She has to go before this judge by herself. She's in a society where a widow coming before a judge is not going to get a lot of mercy unless he loves God and loves, his, loves people, loves his neighbor. But if he doesn't love God, he doesn't love his neighbor, then why even waste the time with her? So you have a widow. She's got somebody taking advantage of her. She goes before a judge, and she says to the judge, I need justice. I need it now. Someone's taking advantage of me. It does not matter what the advantage, uh, what, what, what the issue is. All that matters is she's being taken advantage of. Now, this widow is intended to be a picture, illustrate the disciples, and I believe us, can be taken advantage of at times. And there'll be nothing we can do about it. There's nothing that could happen to the Apostle John when he's arrested and beaten scourged he could go before a judge and say this is unfair and if the judge says i don't care i think you've broken the law that's it so when they're dipping his body into hot tar and torturing him there is nothing he can do about it that's this widow and she's going before a judge who doesn't care about her now let's look at what happens verse 4 for a while, he refused. But afterwards, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So she would go to the judge. This guy's taking advantage of me. He said, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Kept going and going. And she kept coming and coming and coming and coming. And finally, this wicked judge says, enough. Even though I don't love God, and even though I don't love you, and 
I don't care what, what his law says. I don't care what's best for you. You're annoying me. Stop it. All right. I will give you justice because I'm going to go nuts if you keep coming at me. So what is the picture here? Now remember, what, what did Jesus tell them? I'm telling you this parable because I want two things to happen. I want you to always what? Pray and not lose heart. Okay. So what does she do? She keeps coming continually. He keeps saying no, no. She doesn't get thwarted. She keeps coming. She keeps coming. She keeps coming. Lesson for you children. Just keep asking your parents. They'll eventually say. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) I have never been booed in a sermon before. (laughs) Wow. i got to tweet that right now. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I've just been booed. (laughs) Just kidding. Kids, do not write that down. That is not the point of the sermon. (laughs) The point here, though, is that she, every time the injustice and serve, every time he said no, she kept bringing it to the judge over and over. She's this illustration of what it means to always pray. So if you want to know what it means to always pray, remember her. She didn't stop. She didn't stop. Now, the judge is not a picture of, of God. You've got to know that. The judge is wicked and evil. But, here's the argument. A wicked judge will eventually respond if annoyed enough. There's the lesson of the parable. Now, Let's look at how this translates to the anchor. Okay, so let's transition this now to the anchor. The Father hears your prayers. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Okay, so Jesus tells the parable. Now he's directing our attention. What should we listen to? What's the emphasis Jesus wants us to have? What did the judge say? The judge said, you've annoyed me and I will eventually, I'm giving in because you've annoyed me to death. I can't take it anymore. Now Jesus, I want you to think about that for a minute. I want you to think that justice came from a guy who hates justice and hates people because this woman kept coming at him. But he gave justice. Now, that's supposed to hang there because now he sets up the contrast in verses 7 and 8. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. I'll just stop there for a second. Notice what he says. God will give justice Right? If this guy can give, and you get the argument, I don't have to beat this too hard, right? You, if this guy can do it, what will God be like who, first of all, has his children, his called out ones, the ones that he has brought to himself? That's the picture. So he's saying, I love you. Right? A judge who hates you does, will eventually do what's right for you. What will a judge do who loves you, who's called you? who brought you into his fold. 
If you are crying out to him day and night, will he delay long over that? Will he? Will he sit back and say, well, you know, you need to be tortured just a little bit more. Will he delay long? Now, his answer is no. He'll act speedily. Now, the question is this. Does it seem like God acts speedily? <laughs> right? I mean, so, so how do you reconcile that point? I was thinking about that a lot this week. How do you reconcile this point? I could imagine, I mean, you know, I, I have burned myself. And, you know, the pain of, like, when you really burn yourself really bad, it's just horrible. And that's like, you, you know, what, a millisecond in, in a hot thing? You touch something hot. I remember touching a lawnmower one time. didn't know it was hot. And you just on there, pull it off, big welt for, like, but that seemed like forever, that pain. I can't imagine being burned alive, what that would feel like. So how do you say God will act speedily? It's a good question. I'm going to just for a moment kind of just lift off the text here and just try to offer three thoughts on that. Just, and these are kind of just Steve's thoughts, so they might be worthless. But just kind of offer some thoughts, some kind of in one sense taking what I know of the whole Bible here and just kind of offering three kind of general ways for you to think about this. And, and they, kind of, they kind of start big and then they'll get more specific. So in the big answer of things, God's saying, I'll act speedily. I do believe on one level, people keep praying to God and they keep praying to God and, and, and eventually Jesus will come back. I mean, eventually he will come back. He will bring justice. The word of God is true. It says he will. And I believe that time at that moment, you know, I mean, you know how just time feels as you get older and just keeps getting faster and faster. I think when he comes back, you'll... You'll go, wow, that was quick. Okay, I do think there's an experiential reality of time, and we experience it differently. So, but when he comes back, it will be his right time. So on a big picture, he is coming back. He will deal with this on a big, massive global scale. And we won't say, you know, hey, you were five minutes late, Jesus. You'll say, that was the right time. I see why. It, it will make sense. Okay, so that's the big answer. If we were to narrow it down a little bit more, I believe this. When you pray and you're asking God, God, can I have justice? We need justice here. I'm bringing all this emotion to you. I do believe at one level, there are times, maybe in a temporary sense, we might be able to find that justice. There could be a moment where God could work in a situation and bring peace. There can be a moment. I know that uh, many of you, you study church history, Seasons where the church was crying out for, for relief and whole governments would change and they would get relief. Or maybe take it on a more personal level. There's an issue with me and this person in my family. Maybe God eventually moves in that person's heart and reconciliation comes. And I do believe God can answer that way. So as we narrow it down, I'm going to keep praying for that. And I do believe that, that I can have reconciliation there. But on a third way, bringing it even down more narrow, and this is probably the one I've experienced more than, than of course, I've never experienced the return of Jesus. So I've gotten that one, and the second one happens occasionally, but, but this is probably the biggest of the three. When I do pray, and when I've brought areas in my life where an injustice was served, 
and, and I really have said, okay, God, I'll pray. I'm just going to keep bringing this. Um, I remember one time a situation had happened and my, my first family life and an injustice was served and it was really hard for me to get over it and I just said, okay, God, I don't, my emotions aren't here, but I'm just praying that you would help me to forgive and to do good to the one who, who's doing this to me. I want that heart. And I know one thing. As I started praying for that, God works within my own heart to free me from that injustice. Frees me. It doesn't make the injustice necessarily go away, but I'm no longer a prisoner to it. And I believe God acts speedily that way. That's, that's my opinion. But I have found that what happens when we are going to God and saying, God, you're the judge. I'm going to entrust myself as Jesus did in uh, 1 Peter. Peter tells us, 1 Peter 2, 20 and 21, that he entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. He put himself there. And they still kept beating him. They still kept cussing him out. But he never hit him back and he never yelled back because he knew God is the judge and in God's time, he'll take care of this. Whether he's going to take care of it at his return or whether maybe he brings some kind of reconciliation now, it doesn't matter because I'm free. It doesn't own me. Now, if I want to tie that back into the text, he says that I want two things to happen, that you would always pray and that you would not lose heart. That your heart wouldn't be weighed down. I believe that this third one is the issue. The injustice comes, I'm bringing it to you. Rather than trying to fight, throw a temper tantrum, scream, yell, run away, disengage, make everybody pay for it, write letters, write emails, get all bent out of shape because something didn't go the way you thought it should go. Rather than doing that, I'm going to bring it to God. And you know what happens? I don't lose heart. I'm set free. Suddenly, your injustice doesn't own me anymore. I'm free. I believe God acts speedily that way because I believe the issue on the table is he doesn't want them to lose heart. And so we take the injustice and we bring it to him and he will guard our hearts. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, right? Strong, dramatic words. In everything, you make your request known to God with thankfulness, and he'll do two things. He'll guard your heart, and he'll guard your mind. You won't get discouraged and depressed, and your mind won't race through it over and over and over, right? Stuff that that does when an injustice is served. And so the issue on the table is to do what with it? You bring it to God. That means that when an injustice is served, you don't bring it to Facebook. You don't bring it to Twitter. You don't bring it to a bunch of friends to talk about all the things that this person did that was unfair. You do all of that where you're going. You're basically saying, I, I want to be owned by this. I love the prison. 
than anxiety and worry brings in my life. It's a great place. That's why I don't bring it to God, because I just want to hang there. I love not sleeping. I love acid reflux. It's just great. No one wants that, but yet what we don't do is we don't bring it to the one person who can free our hearts and guard our minds. To say, I will provide for you. I will provide. So now, let's wrap it up. Let's conclude this here with the last statement that Jesus said. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, remember that's the whole topic, I'm coming back, I'm bringing justice, I'm coming back. When I come, will I find faith on earth? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Why ask that question? The point of that question is very simple. If we really do believe that God is a judge, we really do believe that he'll guard our hearts and he'll guard our minds, if we really do believe it, then we wouldn't go anywhere else other than him. And when you live your life giving it all to him, that's faith. But faith is not saying, I believe Jesus can take me to heaven, but I'm gonna, I, it's my job to kind of rule the world. It's my job to rule my friends. It's my job to solve everyone's problems. It's my job to get in there and meddle with it all. He's saying, that's not faith. Now, the implication here is pretty intense because he's coming back to bring what? Judgment. And he's saying, will I find faith? How will I know you're walking in faith? Because every anxiety, every injustice is placed there and nowhere else. He's saying, guys, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. If you want to know what, I'm, what, 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 what you should be thinking about as you're waiting for my return, is not trying to figure out what rock I'm coming behind or what city I'm coming or what, who will be president or who will be king and who will be this. Don't get obsessed with that. Ask yourself, am I bringing all of my worries and anxieties and all the injustices of this world, and will I bring them continually to God until he takes me home? Will they rest there? If you're there, you're ready for the return of Christ. But if you go through life trying to figure out when he's going to return and then living in the worry and the anxiety of the world, you're not ready. Even if somehow, by some weird, strange, random moment, you got it right. And you said, this is the moment, and it really did come. Are you ready? That's what he's saying. Now, next week, he's now going to unpack then what it means to walk by faith. He's going to unpack it further. He's going to delve into definitions of faith. But for this week, what he's telling us is very simple. Will you commit every injustice, every anxiety to prayer, believing God will provide? I have never met somebody who is kind of all bent out of shape who is also thoroughly committed to prayer. But I have met people who are thoroughly committed to prayer who walk in peace. They haven't lost heart. And the thing for us is to remember this, very simple. This world is tough. It is tough, and injustices will come your way. People will treat you unfairly. That is what's ahead of us until Christ comes back. So the question is not will you pray, but will prayer be your lifestyle?
will it be your first place and only place you'll go. Now, what I want to do this morning is give you some time to pray. Because the one thing I can say with 100% certainty is that all of us have a bunch of things that are making us worried. And all of us have a bunch of anxieties, and all of us are dealing with people, and we're dealing with injustices, and if you're going out and bringing the gospel to the world, you're going to deal with a lot more. And as you're dealing with all of this, it's probably good to actually do what he said, rather than just hear me talk about it. So, Dell's going to come up here, and she's going to play for a little bit, a couple of minutes, and I want to give us an extended time of prayer. And what I would ask you to do is something very simple. Be very candid and very honest with God and lay your request before Him. And every time you lay that request and whatever they are, if you could just say this, God, here's my request, but you're going to provide. God, here's my request, but I believe you're going to provide. God, here's here's my issue. I believe you'll provide, you'll protect, you'll do what's right. And just bring it before God and then... Take a deep breath and rest because God will act speedily on your behalf. So just take a couple of minutes and do that now. Father, I know all of us walk into this room dealing with our own sin, dealing with the sin of others dealing with living in a fallen world that hates you. Sometimes we engage in a way trying to show love and it's received as hatred by others and it creates conflict. And Sometimes we go through life and people just choose to, to do things to hurt us, to disrupt us. Lord, we're waiting for your return. We're longing for it. But but in the midst of all of that, God, as we still deal with those frustrations and anxieties, may we rest them completely in you so that we would not lose heart, that our hearts would be fully absorbed in in the truth of you as our judge. You'll bring justice. You'll make it right. So, Lord, I pray that we would be set free this morning from the anxieties of this world, that be set free from them owning us, and that we would rest in you. Lord, we don't control the world. We are not the rulers of anything. So, Lord, just free us from that pride and that arrogance and cause us to rest in your sovereign hand and your protection. I thank you that, Jesus, you are the perfect judge. You'll make things right when you return. And you can free us from the bondage in our hearts and loosen its grip so that we don't run around temper tantrums and yelling and getting all bent out of shape over things that are in your control. And God, may we find peace in you this morning. And may we say from the depths of our heart, you are our provider. You will give to us all that we need. You will not let us go. You love us. You're not a wicked judge. You're a great judge. May that anchor us today that we might find hope in you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.